In this episode, we speak with Jack Purcell, a managing partner of Ridgemont Equity Partners, which is a Charlotte-based middle market private equity firm with $9 billion in assets under management that has provided buyout and growth capital to industry-leading companies in the business and tech-enabled services, industrial growth, and healthcare sectors for three decades. The principles of Ridgemont have refined a proven industry-focused model designed to build distinctive middle market companies. Jack focuses primarily on investments in business and tech-enabled services, as well as industrial growth. Previously, he worked with Bank of America Capital Investors, which he joined in 2002. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Yeah, likewise, RJ. Good to spend some time with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So as we were talking before we started recording here, I remember that 2009-2010 timeframe when B of A and Merrill merged, and it kind of jogged my memory to, wow, what a crazy time that was in the overall macro environment. But also when you were sitting there at these banks that were in the headlines going through the merger and having to deal with everything else that was happening in the markets. Tell us about the origins of Ridgemont. Yeah, I'm happy to. That was such an odd period to reflect back on. And you know, for a little bit of context, RJ and I were catching up on this beforehand. But our partnership, which is called Ridgemont Equity Partners, it's been around actually for 30 years. And the first 17 years of the partnership's existence were inside of a large bank holding company, the one we're referring to here. So we spent 17 years inside of Bank of America and its predecessor banks running an in-house direct private equity investing effort. Our business is based in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we're headquartered. And so we've got our roots inside of a bank holding company, and our business today is still based in in Charlotte. The, that eerie period that you were referring to, that's when we executed a spin out of our business to establish what we now call Ridgemont Equity Partners. That was August of 2010 when we started Ridgemont. And so we're just sneaking up on our 13-year anniversary as an independent fund. And it's really been a continuation, RJ, of the same thing we were doing at the bank. Middle market, buyout and growth investing. We focus on two types of business models, distributors and service companies. And we focus on three end markets, business services, industrial growth, and healthcare services. It's been a a lot of fun as an independent organization, but we also, we had a great time when we were part of Bank of America too. I was looking at what you've done since, what Ridgemont has done since, and it's really nice to see how the firm has progressed and been able to grow. You know, your last fundraise, I think, was your biggest yet. And as we were talking too, I remember Donnie Harrison, who, you know, a good dialogue with back, you know, whatever, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And it's nice to see that the good investors, the investors that I felt were good people ended up doing well. And it's not an uncommon thing where it's the folks that you like to interact with end up being the most successful. Tell us about the culture and maybe the core team during that time and then how it's evolved along the way. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. And thanks for the nice words about the firm. We did just finish raising our fourth successive flagship fund 
right at the end of last year, $2.35 billion fund at our hard cap, which was, I think, good validation of just the firm's performance and quality of the team and trajectory. It's funny, if you go all the way back to August of 2010, we really only had a team of about 15 people. It's a relatively small partnership. And if you look today, we're up to 60 people. So 4X the size, you know, really nice growth across not only the investment team, but all the important functional areas that support the business, whether it's our business development team, which Donnie founded for us all the way back in 2002, but our portfolio operations group, investor relations, et cetera. So the firm has grown really nicely. You know, the culture of the firm, we do think it is a point of differentiation for Ridgemont. Being based in Charlotte, yeah, it's a little bit of a different town, a little bit of a different speed. We've got a very family first culture, a very close knit and cohesive partnership. We've had very, very low slash no turnover since founding the business. You know, a lot of the folks that were around during the B of A days are still around the business in some form or another, many of them serving as senior advisors. A number of us, my two other managing partners and I have worked together for over 20 years including our time at B of A. So we've just had really good consistency and cohesion as a partnership. You know, just a couple of sort of points that reinforce that. We're really well aligned with our investor partners. We committed over 10% of the last fund as a GP, which is four or five times the industry average. And we've got a lot of people in both our hard dollar investors in the fund and in our carry program. We've purposely been very egalitarian as we've thought about carry distribution and everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction. So we've, we've tried to sort of implement different tools to reinforce this sort of close, cohesive partnership that's been important to our success over time. And, and how have you evolved in terms of what you're investing in and the manner in which you invest buyout versus growth? Has that changed? It really hasn't. And when we say growth, we're not minority investors. We're generally taking majority positions. You know, we're focused in this kind of core part of the middle market, three end markets that I mentioned, two different business models, distributors and service companies. We really haven't had any, you know, I'll call it sort of strategy creep over time. We've kind of stuck to what we've been good at for 30 years now. The size of the companies, RJ, that we've gotten involved with, they've naturally grown over time. Our first fund when we spun out from the bank was $735 million. We're up to $2.35 billion today. So the size of the companies have grown a bit, but the strategy really hasn't. We're very rarely buying 90 or 100% of companies. We're typically buying a little over 50 up to 70 or 75% of companies. And I think that is an important difference, at least as it relates to middle market investors. We, we tend to have really high levels of rollover from selling shareholders, whether it's a management team or a CEO or a family, or it could be an independent sponsor that's grown a business to a certain point and needs a larger capital provider for the next chapter of the company's growth. So the strategy has been very, very consistent over time. Let's talk a little bit about value creation and maybe kind of the unique capabilities that you extend to the companies you partner with. Yeah, sure. So about three quarters of the time, RJ, we find ourselves as the first time institutional capital provider to these companies we're investing in. So to buy and large, there's a fair bit of, call it sort of basic business building, professionalizing the quality of these businesses, whether it's expanding the size of the senior leadership team, investing in incremental systems, better budgeting or reporting capabilities, you know, thinking deeply about what are the highest return on capital endeavors for the company pursues. So there's a fair bit of that in virtually all of our investments. And then we do leverage sort of higher order aspects of our value creation 
toolkit, I'll, I'll mention just a few of those as examples. So we have an internal portfolio operations team. It's available to all of our portfolio companies exclusively on what we call a pull model. So we are not pushing these resources on our management team partners. It is exclusively on a pull model, but the team is excellent and has some specifically strong chops is around supply chain optimization, merger integration. So, you know, really, really neat tools that we can bring in this pull model with portfolio ops. Second area I'll mention in terms of value creation is this business development team, which we refer to as origination and capital markets. It's been around since 2002. You mentioned Donnie earlier. It's been partner led for us for over 20 years. I don't want to claim we were the first, but we were certainly a very early mover in investing in that function within the U.S. middle market. That's really helped not only with platform company identification, but with add-ons. And we've done almost 150 add-ons across our portfolio companies since forming Ridgemont. And then the last point I'll mention is just, you know, we've been at this for 30 years. So we've got a really strong network of executives in our specific subsectors of focus. And we've done a nice job sort of bringing them into situations, serving as independent directors, helping us with specific projects, et cetera. And interestingly, that cohort, that group of executives, they're very substantial investors, LPs in our fund. And so there's sort of a nice way that they're tied into the broader Ridgemont family. But but I'd highlight those three, our portfolio operations team, our business development team, and then the strength of this operating executive network. Those tend to be kind of our higher order value creation toolkit aspects. You know, what's interesting is how competitive it can be in terms of sourcing the best deals. It sounds like what's been most effective are these relationships that you have, maybe senior relationships at other financial institutions. How does that kind of balance with maybe some direct efforts that you have going out and finding businesses? Yeah, it's definitely a balance at our size for sure. And, you know, we've actually sourced a fair bit of product on a direct basis. Something like two thirds of our investments are not ultimately in broadly marketed processes. And that's not to say that we won't plan broadly marketed processes. In some situations, that's a great thing, right? Because you know you've got a seller that's dedicated to bringing in a new financial partner. But it's definitely a balance, to your point. The thing for us that's really important is for Ridgemont to have you know, not only, quote, the ability to win, but more importantly, quote, the right to win. We spend a lot of time talking about the right to win. And for us, that means really, really deep sector and subsector expertise the right value creation plan, and then importantly, sort of the right angle or deal setup. And just as evidence of that last point, fund three for us, that was a fund we raised in late 2018. We turned it on in 2019. It's now fully committed, RJ, but we made 21 investments out of fund three. And of those 21 companies, on average, we spent over three years with each of the companies before we made our investment. So this notion of being sort of thematically driven, deep in our subsectors, getting to know folks over a long period of time, being partnership-minded, having high aspects of seller rollover, spending two, three, four years with a management team or a CEO or a family before we make our investment, that's really the important thing for us. And we think that's driven a lot of our success. Mm -hmm. uh, given that you've been very consistent with the sectors you focus on, with all the kind of new technology that's coming out there, how does that play into maybe some of the investments that you make or, or maybe the way you identify maybe new targets in your sector? Yeah, so tech has a lot of aspects on 
private markets just generally, right? You sort of get down to our segment of the world and it's certainly impactful. It's you know, impacted in a couple of ways, just our, our core business. In the last handful of years, we've invested substantially in the systems we use inside of the walls here at Ridgemont. Yes, for deal sourcing, like you just talked about, but also across our portfolio operations team, integration with our finance fund accounting and administration group, and just using technology to draw really interesting insights into how our portfolio companies are performing, why they're performing, you know, where we see commonality or certain trends across the portfolio. So we've invested a fair bit in systems. We actually hired a new position on our team about 18 months ago, a really high powered data scientist to basically come in and help us with all this, to take 30 years of very valuable data across nearly 200 investments and try and draw themes from it. It has definitely helped us in terms of investment decisioning. And then outside the walls of Ridgemont, you know, we have investments in 34 private companies at this moment, and technology is impacting all those businesses and mm -hmm. being thoughtful about the trends around that and, and ultimately how to invest behind those to unlock incremental value for our limited partners. That's taken a good bit of our time. One of the areas we like to talk about is ESG because, you know, as I get to every once in a while, catch up with some of the big LPs and I'll ask them about ESG and whether or not it's it's indeed a factor in the way they look at GPs. I think universally it is a factor, but the degree to which they emphasize it depends. How do you look at ESG? Yeah, so ESG for us has been a topic for really going all the way back to 2015. And I agree with you. It's an important topic for many of our limited partners. It's an important topic for us as a firm. If you go all the way back to 2015, RJ, you know, ESG for us was a lot of, I'll call it sort of assessment related to portfolio investments. How do certain companies perform based on a diagnostic of their business, their operations through an ESG lens? If you come all the way fast forward to today, Yes, there's an ingoing diagnostic and thinking through the lens of ESG is important at the outset of an investment. But today we're really sort of tracking progress against goals over the life of our investment and making sure that these businesses are improving along ESG dimensions. I'd say sort of the next iteration of this, and we're starting to see signs of it, I'll give you one example here in a second, is how does this movement down sort of the ESG corridor really drive returns? How does it drive better outcomes for our investors? The one example I'll give you, we made an investment, great business called Crete Mechanical Group. It was founded by two very talented individuals that took the company to a certain point and you know, they needed a bigger financial partner for the next chapter of the company's life cycle. And we created a bespoke recapitalization about a year ago and recapped the business. You know, we took a little bit more than control and our founding partners rolled over beside us. We've got a great partnership going forward, but this business is focused on commercial HVAC services. So helping building owners and operators with their primarily HVAC equipment, some other, a little bit of electrical, a little bit of plumbing. But, you know, if you think about it, virtually everything that our Crete business is doing is helping drive energy efficiency for commercial building owners and operators. And thinking about that business through an ESG lens and providing data to our customers that gives insights into better indoor air quality, higher efficiency of chillers or coolers, lower energy consumption, you know, that's actually driving incremental sales volume. 
And so thinking about a basic industrial services business through the lens of ESG can really help drive incremental growth. And, and we're seeing that with our Creed investment. You touched on the fact that you've had very low turnover. And I think in many cases, the culture of a firm is, you know, it's secret sauce. Can you tell us some of maybe your personal philosophy on how you like to interact with others at the firm and, you know, maybe the relationships you have there? So I've been at Ridgemont, our predecessor entity, for going on 22 years. I've been here a long time. And, you know, it's just been a wonderful place to spend time in my career. There's a lot of great things about this business generally. The work is really interesting. There's tons of variety. It's intellectually engaging. It's a great way to support my family. But the people in this business is what, to me, makes it really special. Just how smart people are, how hardworking people are, how competitive people are. And for our partnership here at Richmond, just how good people are as business partners and being collaborative partners, being transparent communicators, kind of always having each other's back, really sort of running this like a family. That has meant a lot to me. And just the role I now sit in here at the firm, kind of bringing this family first mindset I think is really important to keeping the culture intact the way it is. We're coming up on time. I have two final questions. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? So there's probably too many to name, but let me say this. So the CEO founders of businesses that we get to know up close, that we get to invest in, that we get to partner with, that's one of the best parts of this job. And just Getting to meet those folks over time, the impact they've had on me and my family, many of them sort of long after we've exited an investment and moved on down the road. That's been by far the most exciting. I mean, a bunch come to mind, a founder who took eight feet of retail space in his parents' convenience store and turned it into the world's largest company dedicated to outdoor enthusiasts, or the CEO founder who had to drop out of school to cover his ailing father's diesel fuel delivery business, and he turned it into the biggest ExxonMobil distributor in North America. There's another founder that was literally fully maxed out on his home equity line of credit, trying to keep alive a corporate carve out. And today he's just done exceptionally well. Those relationships, those type of individuals, there's too many to name, but that's been by far the most impactful for me. 100% agree. When you meet those people, they're so inspiring. Last question, can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So community involvement broadly is really important to me and my business partners here at Ridgemont. If you were to sniff around on our website, you'd see 55 or 60 different logos of charitable organizations that the broader Ridgemont family is supporting in some way or another with our time or resources or otherwise. By the way, it's not coincidental that we have 60 people on the platform today. So everybody has just about their own unique thing that they're into. And that's what's really neat about these charitable causes, right? It's all about sort of your personal or unique taste and preferences. You know, one that's important to me that I'll highlight, we've been doing a bunch of work as a firm around gender opportunity in private markets and in private equity specifically. Like you, RJ, I'm a dad to two little girls that are 11 and nine, and there's just a lot of work to do across our industry to provide better opportunity and support for women in our field. 
Ridgemont is a founding member in this really, really neat group called the Gender Equity Consortium. That's really the brainchild of our friends at Trilantic in New York and the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth to tackle what's you know both an opportunity and a challenge, providing greater opportunity and access for women in private markets. And so as a firm, we're really excited to be a founding member of that and personally really excited to be involved with it. And I'd like to think between now and when my girls enter the workforce in another decade or so, just the complexion of the folks that work in this field looks a little different. And I'm really, really excited about the opportunities that lie there. And I'm yeah, excited to put shoulder behind it. A great answer. Jack, thank you so much again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Yeah, appreciate it, RJ. Thanks for having me on. 